Hello and welcome to Pablo's channel. Um, it's the 30th of January uh, 2022. So we're already ploughing through the year 2022, end of the first month. And um, yeah, and I'm hoping to get a supervisory role again. Waiting still on a response. I've applied for it. I thought the interview date was going to be tomorrow, but I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, all we've revealed next week. Hopefully, I become a reception supervisor. It's only a 12-month uh, secondment, but uh, that's enough time to really, um, you know, uh, uh, post prove myself and get that. You know, I might stay there. You know. Anyway. Um, we're going to continue reading questions for the Lion Tamer, delving into the mystery that is DMT by John A. Chavez. Um, we had a bit of a, uh, I started this at the start of the month I think, or even maybe last year, I'll have to check on the, the dates on that. But uh, it's been a bit of a hiatus to be honest. And yeah, a hiatus it is, I'm not, I'm not a consistent podcaster like some people are. Um, you know, I did uh, I, I did a little quick, well, let say quick, I, uh, on New Year's, well, actually, <laughs> saying that, it would have been, last time I did read this was uh, last year, in 2021, um, <laughs> but yeah, sorry, um, on New Year's Eve, I had Dad and Perko stay over, and I did a quick podcast of Dad talking about his memories of his uh, family and we ended up just recording about Eddie and Amy hoping to do um, that's on um, my dad's mum's side hoping to do on my dad's parents side as well um, maybe in the near future when when we've got the chance I suppose but you know it's very spontaneous isn't it there's no, no control and scheduling and all like that it's just a matter when the time is ripe. You, you arrive when the time is ripe, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, enough of my blabber. I've been going on for quite a while. Let's go into uh, the questions for the Lion Tamer, which we've had a big hiatus from, at least a month, maybe two months. I'll have to look at the history of that. But, um, yeah, so we last got up to Chapter 5, and this is looking at the growth of hormone and past lives. I'm going to pay Shapongal again. Uh, this one is called Ineffable Mysteries. So I'm going to go over here to turn it on. Yeah, Ineffable Mystery from Shapongal Land. So, yeah, growth hormone and past lives. We touched upon quite a few aspects of observation revolving around gamma rays, EEG and DMT dimethyltryptamine in chapters 3 and 4. It appears as though the commonalities regarding insightful aha moments, lucid dreaming, ayahuasca DMT experiences, electrically induced lucid dreaming, hypnosis and meditation all appear to be an increased level of relaxation 
that induces slower brain waves coupled with gamma EEG waves and potentially an above average level of DMT in one's system. Based on the basic measurements, including uh, but not limited to the positive neuroplastic effects, systemic health benefits of sleep and positive hormonal secretion. These induced altered mental states appear to work towards optimizing the functioning of the brain and body. Logically speaking, it wouldn't appear to make sense that a person producing elevated amounts of melatonin, dopamine and HGH while actively regenerating would be considered to be a suboptimal state. I'd venture to say that these parameters will be much closer to the what health looks like rather than having the opposite parameters. Low levels of melatonin, dopamine and HGH with a trophy of the corpus callosum. In, my, in any case, let us continue the discussion of potentials during altered states. We're still staying on hypnosis for now. We ended the second part with, with asking the question about the possibilities of creating physical differences in one's body while in, the alter, in this altered state. We cited the examples of studies showcasing the effectiveness of hypnosis for pain management, anesthesia, hair regeneration, tooth removal, as well as a few others. These all seem rather useful mental tools to have access to. The question is, what else might we be able to access? Dr. Milton Erickson was an American psychologist and psychiatrist who specialised in medical hypnosis and family therapy. He was the founding president of the American Society for Clinical Hypnosis. He was also a member of the American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychological Association, and the American Psychopathological um, Association. In reading the book, Uncommon Therapy, it is evident that Erickson's approach appears quite unorthodox, but intriguingly calculated. While his predominant field of therapy appeared to be alleviating various common forms of behavioural disorders, there are a few noted cases in which uncommon occurrences took place. Probably one of the most famous cases of this uncommon occurrence is found in the book Ericksonian Approaches, a comprehensive manual. Here is the passage. In 1960, he told me about a 20-year-old man who grew 12 inches in height in the span of one year. In hypnosis, at the start of therapy, this stunted young man looked out on his world as though unwilling to grow. A modern day Peter Pan. For example, he described a room as though he were standing beneath a table. Similarly, a cow on his farm was visualized as though it were 10 feet tall. His eyes were on a level with, with a cow's udder. Growth began to take place when Erickson encouraged the man to hallucinate his world as though he were standing part way up the staircase. I said, 
Why have you kept this report out of the literature? Ericsson smiled and said, No respectable editor of a scientific journal would publish such an impossible thing. Dr. Ericsson, I answered, You are the editor of a respectable journal. He smiled again and said, I would like to keep my job. It says Cheek, in brackets, Cheek, 1982, page 282. A 20-year-old man growing 12 inches in height in one year. It surely sounds improbable, but since we've already outlined the projected hormonal fluctuations from hypnosis, melatonin, somatostatin, HGH, there appears to be a potential biological foundation in place. The following studies showcase the effectiveness of external HGH administration in increased height. New England Journal of Medicine, 1999. British Medical Journal, 2002. Journal of Endocrinology, Metabolism, 2004. And the International Journal of Pediatric Endocrinology, 2014. Interesting note. The disease known as cancer is considered to be an uncontrolled division of abnormal cells in a part of the body. It appears as though breast cancer is associated with abnormally elevated levels of the sex hormones, androgen and estrogen. While cancer is hardly considered to be a type of positive growth in one's body, it is a growth based at least partially on hormonal fluctuations nonetheless. It's recently been observed that the incidence of various forms of cancer and mental depression have significant correlation outlined in Biological Psychiatry 2003 and Neoplasma in 2002. It's important to keep this in mind as we proceed forward. Here's another excerpt from Ericksonian Approaches. Erickson recognised the importance... By the way, Erickson spelled E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Erickson recognised the importance of healthy body imagery. He used hypnosis to help at least two young women allow their breasts to grow in response to their own hormones. They have previously inhibited such interaction, considering themselves unfeminine and unattractive. Erickson and Rossi, 1980, uh, B, page 183.5. This was published in the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis in 1960, volume 2, issue 3. Yet another example of what might be considered improbable effects of hypnosis without comprehending the potential underlying measurable factors. In 1974, in the Journal of Sex Research, a study was conducted by Dr. James E. Williams regarding the effect of hypnosis on the breast enhancement of women. The details of the study were as follows. The first phase compared hypnosis with and without suggestions for breast growth in six subjects. The second phase examined the effectiveness of hypnotic suggestions of breast growth in 13 subjects acting as their own controls. Analysis of the data indicated that hypnosis per se had no direct effect on breast growth, but that hypnosis with suggestions for breast growth was effective in stimulating breast growth. In 1997, a follow-up study was published in the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis by Dr. Alan Strabe, S-T-A-I-B, and D.R. Logan 
of the University of Houston, attempting to replicate the 1974 study. The conclusion was as follows. An experiment was designed in an attempt to replicate the finding of a previous study, 1934 Dr. Williams, which indicated that hypnosis could be used effectively to stimulate breast growth in adult women. Three adult women were given a series of hypnotic treatments in which sensations of breast growth were suggested. It was found that hypnotic stimulation of breast growth did result in large breasts. A three-month follow-up, not included in the previous study, demonstrated that while some decrease had occurred during the three months after the session of treatment, 81% of the gains made were retained. Interesting note too. It's been noted that children as old as 11 years old have been able to regenerate the tips of their severed fingers. This was observed in cases documented by the Journal of Hand Surgery in 1993 and 1995. This ability is also acknowledged in the journal Regenerative Medicine in 2014. Perhaps it's important to note the predominant EEG state of children and their ability to regenerate versus the average adult. In 1977, in the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis, a study was published by psychologist Dr. Richard D. Willard regarding the potential for hypnosis to induce breast growth in women. Here are the details from the study outlined in the book, Body Power. Uh, body power. 22 female volunteers, ranging in age from 19 to 54, were asked to use self-hypnosis and visual imagery in an attempt to enlarge their breasts. At the start of the study, which was eventually described in full in the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis, five individual breast measurements were taken for each woman. And woman. Circumference, height, width and other measurements were recorded by a doctor who was not involved in the experiments. The volunteers then attended Dr. Willard's clinic once a week for six weeks and once every two weeks for an additional six weeks. At the first session, the women were taught how to relax their muscles by using the same sort of technique as the one I have already described in this book. Subsequently, they were asked to do this and then to imagine that they had a wet, warm towel draped over their breasts. They were asked to imagine that the towel was making their breasts feel warm or, if they found this difficult, to imagine that a heat lamp was shining directly onto their breasts. Once the women were satisfied that their breasts were getting warmer, they were asked to develop an awareness of a pulsation within their breast tissue. It was suggested to them that they should become conscious of their heartbeats and feel each new beat pushing blood into their breasts. They were told to practice this exercise every day at home. At the end of the 12-week experiment, 28% of the women had achieved the growth in breast size they wanted. 85% had confirmed that a significant increase in their breast size had been achieved and 46% had reported that they had had to buy bigger bras. The average increase in breast circumference was 1.37 inches, in breast height 0.67 inches and in breast width 1.01 inches. Most women reported that by the end of the experiment they could feel warm blood flowing into their breasts simply by thinking about their breasts. They were, there were other advantages too. Those women who had, at the start of the experiment, complained of having breasts of unequal size reported that their breasts had become equal in size. 
all the women reported that their breasts were now thinner. And some, 63% of the women who had complained of having pendulous breasts when the experiment had started, reported that the fullness and the contours of their breasts had returned. Incidentally, to make sure that the extra breast size hadn't just been achieved by an increase in weight, the women were also weighed at the start of the experiment. At the end of the 12-week period, 42% of the women had actually had a weight loss of greater than £4, but had all nevertheless noticed an improvement in their breast size. When he studied the changes, Dr Willard found that there was no correlation between the increase in size and the size of the breasts at the start of the experiment. He did, however, find that there was a correlation between the ease with which the women were able to visualise blood flowing into their breasts and the increase in size which they obtained. The only two women who subjectively felt that their breasts had not increased in size, but who did, in fact, have a measurable increase in bottom di- di- dimensions, had, bo- had both had difficulty in feeling the effect of the warmth on their breasts. Adult height growth? Adult breast growth? Question mark, question mark. If cancer signifies an abnormal growth of cells and is linked to mental depression, could it be possible to induce desired growth from inducing a completely different type of mental state which optimises good hormones? If children have consistently shown the ability to regenerate their severed fingertips fully while adults cannot, what is the main difference in mental and hormonal levels compared to adults? It's interesting to note that according to numerous anecdotal claims by hypnotherapists across the world, the spontaneous remission of cancer has been observed amongst a number of patients. If stress depression is one of the main culprits of cancer development, it appears that a spontaneous remission would likely be synergistically linked to a spontaneous change in emotional state. A 2016 study in BMC Neuroscience showcased the spontaneous remission of depressive behaviour induced by chronic restraint stress in mice. The conclusion of the study was as follows. Using persistent brain network homology analysis of EEG signals from eight cortical regions, we found that restoration of gamma activity at the network level is associated with behavioural remission. Could this observation be the potential link between the spontaneous remission of cancer using hypnosis and potentially many other similar altered states? The big difference between hypnosis and the external administration of substances is the measurability factor. In administering a drug or compound, it is usually isolated, measured and administered orally, transdermally or injected. When it comes to hypnosis, Factors such as hypnotizability of the patient, corpus callosum development, expertise of the hypnotherapist, and consistency of application are key variables. The key takeaways from the 1977 study by Dr. Willard is in regards to the consistency of application. It was a 12-week study, 84 days, in which daily practice of self-hypnosis was induced by each volunteer. The volunteers would also attend a total of nine hypnosis sessions by Dr. Willard in completely unquantified theory. This would equate to 75 total microdoses of HGH, self-hypnosis techniques, 
and nine full doses of HGH hypnosis administered by Dr. Willard. A 1998 study in gynecology endocrinology um, showcased the effectiveness of administering a compound to enhance expression of one of IGF hyphen one insulin-like growth factor one in order to increase breast size in women. Incidentally, melatonin also appears to enhance expression of IGF one outline outlined in growth development and aging in 1990. Experimental and Clinical Endocrinology and Diabetes in 1997 and the Journal of Pineal Research in 2008. In addition, if we are to believe that the nervous system is the basis for communicative function between the brain and body, the relationship between melatonin and nerve growth factor, NGF, would appear key. If one were to assume that these results of physical enhancement are real, we will presume that there will be distinct changes in growth hormone fluctuations, as well as the nerves that, that transmit the signals. Here are a few studies supporting the role of melatonin, which increases during meditative-like states. On NGF, Journal of Pineal Research, 1998, Journal of Neuroscience Research, 1998, and Neurology and Clinical Neurophysiology, 2002, the more you dig into the details, the less far-fetched the results would appear to be. Obviously, this is based on extremely crude observation, but it is an observation nonetheless. Additional interesting notes from the group of studies is that in the 1974 study, hypnosis by itself had no effect on breast cancer, on breast growth rate. It was only hypnosis with suggestion for breast growth that actually stimulated the positive effect. In a 1977 study by Dr. Willard, there was also a correlation between the ease of visualisation of blood flowing into their breasts and the increase in size which they obtained. These findings would be extremely difficult to quantifiably measure utilising traditional biological parameters. This is a case of unexplainable effects that correlate with intention of the mind. Perhaps they can be measured utilising a specific frequency of infrared camera or some sort of electrical flow capture device. In Dr Robert Becker's book, The Body Electric, he outlines an experiment in which he simulates the bioelectrical current that salamanders utilise to regrow their severed limbs. Traditionally speaking, a fully mature rat isn't capable of regenerating an arm that has been clearly severed past the elbow. However, regeneration is exactly what was observed in his experiment in the 1970s and has been replicated recently in a study published in 2015 in the journal Scientific Repair Reports. Could it be possible that the observed changes in DC direct current within the brain, the body electric, during hypnosis could potentially create the precisely altered electrical stimulation for improbable growth and regeneration? Perhaps certain electric frequencies are more easily transferred via the aspect of visualisation than others. But once again, we're beginning to digress. Interesting note 3. The creator of the first EEG machine in 1924 was a man named Hans Berger. Berger created the machine specifically to quantify what he believed as an undeniable ability of humans to invoke telepathic transfer of thought. 
burger would fail in his attempt, and I have the sneaky suspicion that one of the key aspects of this was due to the inability to capture high-level gamma waves prior to creation of the digital EEG in the 1970s. He was likely on the right path, but just so happened to be born in the wrong era. In chapter 27, we will touch upon the hypothetical physiological mechanisms for consciously induced telepathy. Let us postulate that all these abilities are indeed real, and that we, that we in actuality have untapped powers of the mind when utilising various techniques to purposely quiet the brain in order to tap into higher hertz levels, gamma waves, and possibly DMT synthesis. The question then becomes, does it make logical sense to completely discard the information derived from these altered states? For example, during hypnosis, especially sonambulistic states, sonambulistic, sorry, sonambulistic states, altered deep hypnosis, some hypnotherapists have stumbled upon patients that begin to discuss past lives. It appears that though this occurs unexpectedly as the hypnotherapist attempts to regress the patient to an earlier part of their life that they aren't able to consciously recall. It appears as though instead of merely delving into early childhood, the patient vividly just begins to describe experiences not associated with their current lifetime. It's a strange phenomenon to say the least. This occurred in the case of Yale alumni, uh, Dr. Brian Weiss, Weiss? W-E-I-S-S, which led to him authoring the book, Many Lives, Many Masters, and subsequently follow-up books. A similar phenomenon occurred to self-proclaimed atheist, Dr. Michael Newton, who will go on to author Journey of Souls and a few other books. In 1993, in the International Journal of Psychophysiology, a study was published outlining EEG analysis during hypnotic induction hypnotic dream and age regression. The results were as follows. In eyes open and closed, conditions in waking and hypnosis, highly hypnotizable subjects produced a greater 40 hertz EEG amplitude gamma waves than did low hypnotizable subjects at all frontal, central and posterior locations. Theta power was never a predictor of hypnotic susceptibility. 40 Hz EEG amplitude displayed a very high main effect. See, uh, and then brackets P and then an arrow to the looking to the left. 0.004 for hypnotizability in hypnotic conditions by displaying a greater 40 Hz EEG amplitude in high hypnotizables with respect to lows. Once again, we see these mysterious gamma waves associated with hypnotizability and even more specifically, age regression hypnosis. It's interesting to note that the following studies have equated theta gamma, theta, yeah, theta gamma coupling associated with both short-term and long-term memory recollection. International Journal of Psychophysiology, 2002, Neuroimage, 2004, and technology and healthcare 2015. Could it be that during these deepened states of consciousness, high level gamma waves are induced which allow the person to recall information in which the origin is currently unknown? 
something like an ultra-aha moment. In chapter 24, we will discuss the potential physiological correlates of reincarnation, recall, amongst hypnotised adults as well as children. We included the work of Dr. Ian Stevenson and Dr. Jim Tucker at the University of Virginia, in which over 4,000 documented cases of children seem to be calling past lives. It surfacely appears as though there might be some distinct similarities in terms of EEG state and potentially hormonal release in both hypnotised patients and young children during recall. The concept of reincarnation and past lives is rather unscientific by nature. It is not a field of study that can be quantified utilising traditional scientific means. However, that doesn't equate to the validity of discarding the concept altogether, especially if enhanced abilities are observed that coincide with very similar physiological states during hypnosis. It simply lacks consistency to embrace the anaesthetic aspects of hypnosis, accelerated healing of hypnosis, hair regenerating abilities of hypnosis, and the overall physiological benefits of hypnosis, only to discard whatever doesn't fit into one's measurable belief systems. At the same time, it doesn't equate to ingesting the information and taking every word as gospel, but to discard it completely would appear to be inconsistent, which is rather an unscientific quality within itself. We do understand that some of these concepts might make some readers a bit uncomfortable, as we are beginning to push the boundaries of what we believe about our inherent nature. As the saying goes, gross spirits can tend to be uncomfortable. However, we try to remain as consistent as possible as it pertains to gamma waves and the possibilities of endogenous DMT synthesis that correlates with these innate abilities and in that and insights. So that was chapter five growth hormone and past lives I think I'm going to read the next chapter actually, chapter 6 which is called Hypnogosia I think that does like that Hypnogosia, uh, that's H-Y-P-N-A-G-O-G-I-A and sleep paralysis so uh, tune in to the next uh, podcast for that